1977, in less than one hour, three separate lightning strikes resulted in the entire power grid for the largest city in the United States being completely shut down. All traffic was in gridlock. Thousands of people were trapped in high-rise buildings and subways. All airline traffic was diverted. New York City was in total darkness. In the next 24 hours, thousands of stores were looted and suffered fire damage. 4,500 looters were arrested and 550 police officers were injured. And this grid failure was from natural causes. What most people don't realize is there are numerous other reasons that the power grid could shut down not just for a few days, but for weeks to months. But you can actually protect yourself from such an event. So what will you do when the lights go out? Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode number 42, which is called Lights Out. In episode 29 and episode 37, I talked extensively about ransomware attacks and a sustainable life being your best security blanket. But at this point, I want to take a little bit of a different approach to hopefully drive home some of these principles and again point out the importance of living a simple, sustainable life. In fact, I hope this episode is somewhat of a reality check. I do think it is fair to say that most of us take a lot of things for granted to the point that we feel entitled to certain things. Now, I'm not going to be overly critical here, but as Americans, and by the basic nature of our culture and society, we have easy access to almost anything we want, anytime we want. And when you live in a culture like that all of your life, you begin to have a sense that you are entitled to live that way. So maybe that is an understandable, if not predictable result of our culture. And since we live in a modern culture, we also expect, in, in fact, we take for granted that when we turn on the tap, we have fresh water. When we flip a switch, we have lights. When we open the refrigerator, we have fresh food. But depending on the generation you are from, most of us tend to forget that it is not so long ago that this was simply not the case. Even up until the late 1930s, more than half the homes in the United States still did not have electricity or phones. So daily life at that time just did not include dishwashers, refrigerators, TVs, air conditioners, cell phones, computers, iPads, email, instant messaging, microwaves, food processors, etc. 
In fact, when I was growing up in rural part of North Georgia, most homes had electricity, but no one had a phone. If you really needed to talk to someone, you just simply drove to their house. Obviously, modern technology adds a huge level of convenience to our daily lives. And thanks to modern technology, I can live in the middle of the forest with my satellite internet and produce podcast episodes. But for the most part, our basic necessities are taken care of due to a vast and interconnected infrastructure. But I have long said that this level of convenience also adds a level of vulnerability, and that is one of several reasons that we maintain a very simple lifestyle. So here's the problem. Actually, there are multiple problems, but I am just going to mainly discuss the electrical grid and hopefully give you a reality check because there could easily come a time when you have to return to living just like your grandparents did. And I'm not talking about when the grid goes down after a storm or uh, and power is restored after a few days. I am talking about the possibility of the grid going down for months to years. Additionally, I want to point out just how easily this could happen and the enormous impact it would have on our way of life. If the power grid did go down for a long period of time, certain critical areas of our society, such as hospitals, police stations, government facilities, cell phone towers, fire and rescue, food supply lines, water treatment facilities, etc., would simply cease to operate. While many of these facilities do have backup power in the form of generators, these are only designed to operate for a few days to weeks. And then it's lights out. So here is the challenge. Every stage of our power generation and distribution is controlled and monitored by sophisticated and automated computer systems. And this is because hundreds of thousands of volts of electricity from multiple generating plants are pushed through over 200,000 miles of high tension power lines to our businesses and our homes 24 hours a day. And the demand for electricity is constantly changing because millions of people are turning appliances on and off, turning lights on and off, and commercial facilities are adjusting heating and cooling systems, etc. So what this means is that utility system computers must instantly respond to large swings in power demands, and this is what eventually led to automated control devices that were standardized across the industry. And not only that, this became the gold standard, and these control devices have been extremely reliable and working almost flawlessly since the early 1990s. But the critical flaw is that when these control systems were installed, they used hardwiring for communications. The entire architecture of the system was set up simply for open communication. It was not set up to limit access. 
There simply was no need at the time to include security or password protection. In fact, when these systems were developed, it was even before the internet came into play as a means of system-wide communication and monitoring. And that is the Achilles heel. Now that the internet is widely used, an intelligent and properly motivated hacker can access utility system control functions from anywhere in the world. And that includes electrical facilities, water treatment facilities, gasoline facilities, as well as other critical parts of the infrastructure. A prime example, I discussed the hacking of the Colonial Pipeline in episode number 29. So allow me to pose a couple of potential scenarios. If hackers were to access the main water treatment facilities of a large city, it would be possible to change the chemical mix in order to add toxic levels of standard water treatment chemicals. They would not even have to, actually they would not even have to do that if they simply shut off all chemical treatment the water would now be tainted with all sorts of bacteria, viruses, and various other pathogens that are normally filtered and treated. If hackers access the control systems of a large electrical utility and then redirected multiple sources of generating power into substations and electrical lines that were not designed to handle such loads, high tension lines would overheat and short out transformers costing millions of dollars would simply melt down. Or if the grid voltage was simply altered and rapidly cycled on and off, millions of appliances that we rely on every day would be damaged. And if you think such things are not possible, think again. In December 2015, a malware virus infiltrated the computers controlling the Ukraine's national power grid and shut off the power to over half the country. In January 2016, hackers attacked the computers controlling Israel's entire power grid. And then of course there was the Colonial Pipeline hack which shut down the gas supply line to the entire eastern seaboard in the United States. And then the JBS uh, meatpacking plants or meatpacking facilities, their computer systems was hacked and it shut down operations for a few days, causing meat shortages. And these are just isolated instances. What if there was a coordinated attack to multiple utilities, water treatment facilities, and food processing facilities? it would be possible to shut down the basic infrastructure to half the country and cause such widespread damage that it would take months to years to actually correct it. In fact, there have been congressional studies that determined the destruction of about six carefully selected electrical substations could effectively shut down all electrical power to over half the country and it may take up to a year to get everything back online. Now I could go on to list several other examples of well-planned malicious attacks that have shut down basic utility systems, 
But there are also natural causes that could do the same. And New York City, of course, is a prime example. But there is also the concern over an EMP event, which is an electromagnetic pulse. And this can simply happen from a large solar flare. And this, of course, has happened before. So what this means is that any of these things could happen at any time. And when it does, it would literally be lights out. And as I said before, all this ease and convenience also leads to a certain amount of vulnerability. And I think about this every single time I see a news report of a major storm or some other event that results in the loss of power to millions of people. Hurricane Ida that just hit the Louisiana coast is just another example. I sit and think that if only people led a simple, basic, independent, sustainable lifestyle where they managed many of their own resources, such things would not be that much of a concern. Can you even imagine what life would be like if something happened and the power grid went down for over a year? What would you do? Well, you would be living in a time where your lights just might be candles. You would not have a cell phone, no internet. You would not be able to get gasoline for your car. You might not even be able to get to the supermarket and if you did, they may not even be open. Many people would panic and there would be widespread violence and basic lawlessness. Now, that being said, you have to know I am not one of those people that focuses on the apocalypse and the total collapse of our society as we know it. But when I look at these very real and possible scenarios, I do have to say it concerns me. I purchased my off-grid property in 1996. I put up my first solar panels in 2012, but this was only enough to recharge some basic batteries for lighting. I actually did not install full solar until 2016. It was not until then that I had a fully operational refrigerator freezer and essentially had full standard household electricity. So I lived without electricity and running water for 20 years. And yes, you heard me correctly, 20 years. Now, I do have to say I was super happy when I had electricity and and it completely changed my lifestyle, of course, but did I really suffer during those 20 years of doing without it? Absolutely not. But what this truly did for me is that when I travel somewhere, or for whatever reason I am without some basic amenity, it never even seems to phase me. You know, I immediately shift my thinking and figure out a way around it. And about twice every winter, it's typically in either December, January, or February, when I get the least amount of sun hours, 
my electricity will shut off for about half a day. And this is because the inverter has a low voltage shutoff to protect the battery bank. And I just have to sit and wait for the batteries to recharge. But when that happens, we almost never even react because we have some backup systems in place to provide lighting and some other basic things until the batteries recharge. And so it's just not even a worry. And even when I still had my second home in South Carolina and a storm knocked out the power grid for almost 10 days in the middle of winter, it never even phased us. We switched into off-grid mode, made ourselves as comfortable as possible, and quietly watched the neighbors suffer. And I know very well what some of you are thinking about now, and that is, well, this is easy for you to say because you've been living off the grid for decades and not everyone is comfortable with doing just that. Well, what you have to realize is there are a number of very easy things that you can do to protect yourself from such things. And of course, the first thing to realize is that you must take responsibility for yourself and your choices. You must never depend on some government organization to rush in and help you in the event of a national emergency because nothing could be further from the truth. And the time to make some of those changes in your life is right now. That being said, you you have to know that entire books have been written on the subject of prepping and survival and bugging out and how to survive the apocalypse, etc. But that is not what this episode is about. But I will have a list of some of my favorite references in the transcript of this episode. But for now, I want to simply give you a handful of tips on how to survive a grid down event. The way I look at it, you truly only need a few basic things in order to survive. And that's food, water, shelter, and and some sort of protective clothing. That said, there are many other things you can do to make your life much more comfortable. So what about your food supply? Well, I strongly recommend keeping at least two weeks of extra food on hand and whatever it is that you choose to store away, just make sure that it's something you're accustomed to eating. And my best recommendation is storing foods that have a long shelf life and are high in calories. And make sure to keep, of course, a variety of foods, especially things that can be eaten without any cooking involved. So for example, Energy bars, granola, raisins, other dried fruit, hard candy, canned soups and pastas. And if you want some further information, I have a really good blog post called Establishing an Emergency Food Supply. And there is a link to this post in the transcript. So what about your water supply? Keep, simply keep a water filtration and purification system on hand at all times. I use a gravity-fed system that is produced by a company called LifeStraw, and I have used their filters for years, and this is actually what we use almost every single day to purify stream water. 
And again, I do have an extensive blog post on how to maintain a safe water supply as well as how to choose the best water filter. And there will be links to these posts in the, in the transcript. So what about shelter? Well, I have this small little waterproof bivy shelter that I keep with me all, all the time. It stays in my truck with my other survival gear. And these can be easily purchased at a shop that sells uh, quality outdoor gear. But now this, of course, is for emergency situations only and for when I am away from home. But ideally, of course, in an emergency, you would actually shelter in place at your home. So what about protective clothing? I highly recommend waterproof Gore-Tex clothing. It's lightweight, breathable, and compact. It's not exactly the cheapest clothing you can buy, but it is some of the best on the market. I have used this type of clothing for most of my life, and I highly recommend it. And now, one of my favorite topics, solar power. There are numerous portable solar charging kits on the market these days designed to recharge just about anything you can think of. Cell phones, laptops, iPads, GPS devices, etc. Portable solar generators also have built-in inverters so that you can actually have standard AC household current. But for home use, with minimal investment, you can set up two 100 watt solar panels connected to a very simple inexpensive charge controller and then charge a small battery bank and once charged those batteries can sit on a windowsill and provide power for lighting you can even purchase a small power inverter for less than $60 that has clip-on connections and then this inverter can be used to recharge and run small appliances because they are equipped with standard household outlets. Now I do have two very informative blog posts on simple solar projects that you can check out if you want to uh, <clears throat> read a little bit more information. So what about refrigeration? You know, if the, if the grid is down for a long period of time, how are you going to preserve your food? So if you really, truly want to go all out, then purchase DC appliances such as a refrigerator and a freezer. These appliances are extremely efficient. And once it's set up, they are hardwired into a battery bank and they're charged by a small solar array. And this is in fact what we use every day. I even have known some people to do this simply because they live in a rural area that is particularly prone to power outages and once they set this up they never again have to worry about their food spoiling due to a loss of electricity because their refrigerator and freezer are no longer even connected to the power grid. One other little nice tip is having some basic radio communications. I have this little inexpensive AM FM weather radio in my survival gear in my truck and this thing has literally has five different ways of powering it. 
It has a built-in solar panel. It has a hand crank that recharges an internal lithium battery. It has a battery compartment where you can put in standard AA batteries. It has a AC connection and a USB to connect to a computer or a wall outlet. And it also has USB connections for charging other devices. Now, this is just a one-way radio, of course, but it gives you a means of monitoring emergency radio communications so you can at least stay informed on what's going on in the outside world. And now, of course, one of my other favorite topics, which is cooking. There are numerous ways to cook meals other than using your kitchen stove. You can use a grill, a backpacking stove, a simple propane burner, or a rocket stove. And I have a really, really informative blog post on this that's called 14 Ways to Cook Without Using Your Kitchen Stove. So I will also have a link to this blog post in the transcript. So in summary, I just want to give you a quick review over some of the things that I have covered. So by now, I hope you understand how and why our major utility grids are subject to going down and potentially for a very long time. The biggest weakness is how connected we are these days, meaning that meaning the internet. Any intelligent and motivated hacker can access the computers that control grid functions and essentially shut it down from anywhere in the world. But there are also naturally occurring events such as storms and lightning strikes and even solar activity that can happen at any point in time. And the problem is that if the damage is extensive enough, the equipment needed to repair the grid and make it functional is not exactly an off-the-shelf item. And what we're talking about here is transformers the size of a house that weighs hundreds of thousands of pounds that not only have to be manufactured, but then transported to the needed location and installed. And this type of equipment does not exactly sit around in storage waiting to be used. So perhaps you can now appreciate why it could take months to more than a year to replace this type of equipment. And as far as hackers are concerned, it would only take a coordinated attack on as few as six electrical substations to shut down the grid for over half the country. And contrary to popular belief, it is really not difficult to live completely without electricity. And I know this because I did it for 20 years. But that truly does not have to be the case for anyone because you can easily put some safeguards into place to protect yourself and your family. And this does not mean you're being paranoid or being a prepper or preparing for the end of the world. But by doing a few simple things, you can easily be prepared for the long haul. Things such as having an emergency food supply, the ability to filter and purify your own water, having an emergency shelter, proper protective clothing, basic solar capabilities, off-grid refrigeration, a rechargeable radio for emergencies, and learning how to cook without even using 
your kitchen stove. Can you even imagine the relief on emergency services personnel if even 25% of the population was prepared to completely take care of themselves? So the bottom line here is that living a simple, sustainable life means taking responsibility for everything that you choose to do and everything that you choose not to do. Many people just have to learn to make better choices. And learning a little bit of self-sufficiency is a huge step toward sustainability. So now in closing, if you have enjoyed this episode, and hopefully I gave you a good reality check, then please take the time to just leave me with a review. And of course, subscribe to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast, as well as my companion blog, Off-Grid Living News. This is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. So until then, always remember to live sustainably because this is how we build a better future.